But I don't want to wait till life smacks me in the face to go, okay, I'm going to really figure out why I'm here. I'm actually just going to consciously choose. It's like that guy that just like wouldn't let go of sports. Like I knew it. And I just wouldn't let go of the, the routine of what I thought my life should look like. But I knew inside. I knew inside. And I think everybody really, really knows if they're not high, if they're not suppressing with television and drugs and food and all that stuff. I think they deeply know. And it's just like, learn how to hear the whispers so you don't have to hear the screams. Welcome to Million Dollar Flip Flops, the podcast that invites you on a transformative journey to unlock the secrets of living life to the fullest. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of thought leaders, game changers, and business builders from around the world. We explore pivotal moments, motivations, challenges conquered, and the inspiration that fuels their success. But this show is about more than just their stories. It's about finding your own path to success. If you're a business owner feeling trapped, overwhelmed, and longing for the time freedom you once dreamt of, this podcast is your beacon of hope. And guiding you on this journey is none other than Roderick Lenhart, a number one best-selling author, international speaker, and certified business coach. His multi-number one best-selling book, Million Dollar Flip-Flops, is centered on his signature waves method, giving business owners the tools they need to change their lives and build an aligned business that brings them success and true fulfillment. So buckle up, because here we go. Well, man, you know, that's probably a decent place to start. Like, how did how did you end up on TEDx stages? You know, you're a speaker now, but give me the give me the backstory a little bit. Like, you know, was that always a dream of yours or did it just kind of you you're like me? You just walk through open doors or give me the story a little bit. You know, it's funny, man. One of the things about the stories we tell ourselves is that there's always multiple perspectives. And so I, I always tell the story like there's really two versions of the hero's journey, right? There's like the insecure little boy me who was traumatized version and how I came from like nothing to something or whatever. And then there's like the enlightened version of me that knew deep down inside that I was always called to the level of greatness that I'm stepping into more and more every day. So I'll lean into the kind of the trauma story because that was that's what feels right right now. Um, born in a city, man, um, you know, only mm -hmm. way I knew to get out of the hood was to either be a rapper or to be an athlete. So I decided I was going to do both. <laughs> the notorious uh, wasn't that method. good at rapping. <laughs> I, I got a couple of nursery rhymes, man. I can put some bars together. but <laughs> I love it. I love uh, it. That wasn't it. But was uh, ultimately became super successful in athletics. My dad was an athlete. My um, His sister was uh, qualified for the Olympics. She actually didn't participate because she got addicted to cocaine. Uh, but I had that athletic gene. And... Um, Man, I just excelled, top 100 in the nation, full ride scholarships and football and basketball to play at a lot of Division I colleges. Uh, chose Central Michigan University because they were supposed to allow me to play both sports. And uh, the other part to note in this is like, man, sports wasn't just a way out of the hood. It was also a way that I gained love, acceptance, validation, because uh, growing up in my community, I was teased for being a black kid that talked and acted white. And so essentially, I changed everything about myself to fit in with this African-American community, changed the way that I talk, the music I listen to, the way that I laugh. I literally was an all-A student at one point, perfect attendance, and I started skipping school, selling drugs, just to, you know, gain acceptance from this African-American community. And what I noticed is that when I was rising the ranks in sports, 
man, I didn't feel that internal pull between my white friends and my black friends as much because they didn't care if I was like going to the bonfires with the white people or I was in the basement parties with the blacks. They just cared that I was an elite athlete and had all this like, you know, notoriety and was playing with all these high level people. And so when I came into my true freshman year, I played a little bit, I got hurt, had an injury and um, it should have been the end of my career, but because I had so much of my identity wrapped up into what I do, which is a dangerous place to be for people, right? Like when our identity becomes so attached to something outside of ourselves, whether that's work, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a persona of who I think I should be, it's very detrimental to who we authentically are. And so um, I, I didn't want to face that kind of shadow. And so I basically came back after back surgery way too soon earned a starting position and basically put myself through two years of, man, hell, got addicted to opioids. Um, I say I started taking them to numb my physical plane so I can play sports. Um, and I was still able to because me um, healthy was us unhealthy was better than, you know, the next guy that was fully healthy. Right. And so uh, taking these opioids to numb physical pain and um, started taking them to numb my emotional pain from knowing that my career was coming to an end as an athlete. Now, here's kind of the other narrative of the kind of what you call the the what you call it enlightened Buddha. What's what's the what's that phase? Well, you go peaceful warrior into business Buddha. So business Buddha, right? Yeah. So business Buddha, right? Like there was always this under thread in this story of like when I was nine years old, I went to this church service. I saw this vision of me in front of a sea of people, and I felt like internally I heard God tell me like, "Hey, you're called to this level of greatness and influence in life." And so a lot of this like drug life and persona and using sports to fit in was really in avoidance of that still small, like internal pull to be a leader, to be a speaker, to be an influencer. And so this was going on. And, and when I started to see that athletics was coming in, I think subconsciously, I knew that I was supposed to step into that type of leadership. And man, I started to just use those drugs to numb that emotional pain because I was scared who's going to like me. I'm still the guy that's too white or too black. And at this point I had changed my persona so much. I didn't even know who I actually authentically was. Mm. I came and crashed and burned my senior year. I was taking so many opioids. It was thinning my blood to the point where every time I made contact on the field, my nose was bleeding. And uh, coaches saw that it wasn't allergies. They kicked me off the team. My girlfriend who I was dating for four and a half years left me, got engaged to another man. It was out of sports. Nobody was calling me. Nobody was interviewing me. No ESPN, no team camaraderie. And then they cut my scholarship and I had to graduate in one semester versus I had two additional semesters. So I was taking 23 credits, working two jobs. And man, um, ultimately, I just imploded, bro. Went through a depression, tried to starve myself to death, 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. Ultimately ended up in the psychiatric care facility. And it was there that two things happened. First thing happened is I found my faith. Second thing that happened is I did my first journal entry, saw my first counselor, saw my first psychiatrist, did my first mindfulness exercise. And I started to notice that, man, these feelings of love and of acceptance and of pride and of achievement that I was getting from sports, I was feeling those same emotions and connections from these mindfulness exercises. I started to learn I can build my life from the inside out and I didn't have to build it from the outside in. Okay, I know I'm articulating your hero's journey here. And so from there, I was like, okay, I know I'm here for a purpose, what that purpose is. I've been running from it. I'm going to step into it. I knew it was around writing and speaking and communicating somehow. So graduated, got my degree in integrated public relations, 
worked in higher education and communication department. Uh, within three years, I was running the largest communication plan, plan that we had. Uh, it was freaking crushing it. Um, my, uh, as part of that team, we won two awards in higher education, um, one for branding and marketing campaign. And the other was uh, for an e-newsletter. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which nobody cares about, but I was super <laughs> proud about. Because no, to 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 take if you could take somebody from not caring about an internal communication newsletter to that thing kind of being a staple that people look for, I mean, you can make anything move forward. Right. And so it was a lot of work, man. And so and therein lies the journey. And from there, I kind of stepped into the season that I'm in now. Man, what a story! Yeah, I'm curious. I wanna I wanna focus on one thing in there. When you say you made your first journal entry, do you still keep a journal? I do every just about every day. How how integral do you think that journal has been to your to your forward success, but also the ability to look back and see, you know, how you always hear about, you know, things that were dreams that are your reality now. And then you you can kind of come from that place of gratitude. Oh, 100 percent, man. Um, the, the process of journaling is transformative, not just the act of writing things down, but the benefit of starting to develop a level of awareness of how you're thoughts are leading your life, how your behaviors are affecting your life, the patterns of your emotions in your life. Um, so even when I'm not journaling, like on a, like the days I don't journal, I'm still kind of like taking that awareness into my reflection, into the way that I move throughout the, uh, my life and my day. Uh, man, I, if I wasn't doing that, man, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I wouldn't be able to function as that business Buddha. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that because I don't have the awareness. I don't have the insight. I don't have the guidance. I don't have the direction. I'm just kind of like white knuckling it to success without real conscious awareness and real emotional connection and integration with self. So it's a very important process to look at what were my emotional spikes throughout the day? What was really causing that? What was really going on? And start to play the game of, hey, man, was my perception off or was it on? And if it was on, you know, what does that say about me? What does that show me about what I believe? What does that show me about what I've created in my life? And if it's off, how can I start to develop awareness for when I think I'm on and I'm off? When I think I'm right and I'm not. <laughs> when I think I'm doing all the right things, but I'm actually avoiding the main things that there are for me to do. And it's a very powerful practice for people to engage in. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So by the time this airs, so my journal comes out next week and it's it's every day you're rewriting that statement of purpose so that you start every day and you don't look back. It's like a game of telephone, right? Like you don't look back and see what your old one was. It's just, you remember what it was. And then you get to watch that change over time. Mm. And I think what you said about, you know, there's seasons to these things. And I think mm. if you can get, if you can get ahead of it and you start to recognize those patterns, like you said, it's, it's so powerful. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Hey gang, it's Roderick, and I hope you're enjoying today's show. What I've found as a lifelong entrepreneur, and certainly in coaching other entrepreneurs around the world for the last 20 years, is that we all pass through five phases on our business journey, from the believer to the business Buddha. You need the first two, you want the last two, but sadly, most of us get stuck in the middle and start the cycle over, some of us forever. Knowing where you are reveals a clear path for where you need to go. I've created a free quiz that when answered honestly, We'll tell you where you currently are, but most importantly, we'll reveal your next steps. You can take the quiz right now at milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash quiz. This has taken me 20 years of in the trenches trial and error to develop, and it's designed to change the way you look at your business and your life forever. Are you the showman? 
Are you the anxious philosopher? Maybe you're the peaceful warrior. There's only one way to find out. Take the free quiz now at milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash quiz and see where you land. The results may shock you. Now back to the show. So what's your day-to-day like now? And is it exactly what you, not what you envisioned it to be, but what you want it to be? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, it's everything I needed, but almost nothing that I knew that I wanted. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of story there. I don't know if we have time to get into it on this episode. Might have to part two that one. Uh, but you know, essentially, you know, of course, there's I, I speak on stages and um, I do a lot of that stuff. So when I'm not doing that, my typical routine is, you know, I got my routine. You know, I wake up. I, do my meditation. I go walk my dog. Uh, dancing is really a big part of uh, one of my practices. And uh, it's an interesting connection between um, the freedom that we sometimes feel in dance and the lack thereof that we sometimes feel when we communicate. If you think about yourself, when you're rocking out to your best and your favorite song, a lot of times you're jamming, you're getting it. I mean, there's just like a lot of personalities, a lot of energy, a lot of fun, there's a lot of smile, there's a lot of like fluidity and flow. And then we get in speaking, we just turn into these characters that we think that we have to be in order to be like loved and accepted or received or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, a, a lot of the game is really about me getting more in touch with myself when I don't feel that pressure to perform so that I can bring that into the things that I communicate from stage and the way that I impact lives. Um, because the more that I'm authentically myself, the more that I use my voice, the more connection that I have with my true nature the greater, the wider, and the deeper the impact in terms of the lives that are impacted from stage, not just from a business growth perspective, but also from just like, man, quality, man, that was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it in the way that I needed to hear it. So I do that dance practice. And then, you know, I, I got like the, have you, have you seen a, like Michael Hyatt's like a full focus planner? Yeah. So I kind of like have an adapted model of that system, like a work startup routine, like a, a, a work shutdown routine, an evening routine. And so I kind of take myself through those. And then, yeah, man, um, lots of time with family. I got four kids, three girls and a boy and um, just enjoy life. Dance with my daughters, like get annoyed because they listen to a lot of girl stuff like they're girly, girly, girly. <laughs> I, I saw one has a little budding speaking career starting already. Hey. Dude, it is, man, if I talk about that too much, I might get emotional because nine years old was the time that I had that vision when I saw this sea of people and I caved and I shut down and I suppressed my voice and I dimmed my light. And to be a father and know that at the same age that I was shutting down, my daughter is like speaking in front of, you know, elementary school. Uh, middle school and high schoolers um, in, in, in a, such a natural divine way. It's not like daddy's like, oh, you got to speak. It's just like, can I come, you know, and, and then watch her do it and, and to watch her do it in a, in, in a way that's better than a lot of people that get paid tons of money to speak. It's nuts. It's bananas. Like she said some stuff that was actually what the room needed to hear. It wasn't just like, hang in there. Something cute that a kid says. It's like, I'm like, dude, I, I'm fascinated by her and that gift. And then also by my other daughters and their uniqueness and their paths. And it's beautiful to watch because I had an aunt who had, uh, she was a twin 
and she had six different children and they all did totally different things. One was like 15 languages work for the government. The other was a tattoo artist in Detroit. <laughs> the other one was like single mom and like ran this like family for this really connected family, so on and so forth, right? They all did something different. She said, when they were young and I saw what they were interested in, I just fed it. I just fed their true nature. And so I took that into my parenting and man, to watch them individually blossom in their lanes has been so beautiful. Man, I love that. You know, that you hear so much about kids. I talk about it a little bit in the book, but, you know, before the world gets a hold of them and before the world tells them who they're supposed to be when anything's possible. And I love that story about your aunt that you took some of that on because what, what we could all become if we didn't try to fit into society's boxes, right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Living other people's versions of the life that they... A lot of parents are trying to vicariously live through their children. My dad did that with me. Did he? Yeah. Also, so I, that's why I played sports for as long as I did. I wouldn't have played sports. I, pl I played baseball all the way into college, and then I ended up coaching baseball. And oh, wow. Ne never would have done that if it wasn't. I remember distinctly bawling my eyes out wanting to quit. It just wasn't something I wanted to do. You know. Did you know and, what you wanted to do or you just knew you didn't want to do that? So, so my dad is, my mom's very artistic, like could do anything with any medium of art from stained glass to pottery, to oil painting, to watercolor. It didn't matter what it was. If she touched it, it was beautiful. And my dad was, you know, he was, I, hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but you know, he, he was a failed athlete and I don't <laughs> think he made it past like seventh or eighth grade ball. So it was like for, for me, I was forced to play baseball because he never got to play baseball mm. and kind of a, a much lower level story to yours. You know, I got, I got hurt my junior year. I was a pitcher in a first baseman and ultimately I was going to have to get surgery that my parents couldn't afford. You know, we grew up with nothing, so I couldn't play anymore. So I was done, you know, going into my senior year and then graduated from college and started coaching. I ended up coaching for 11 years, but mm. um, five of my kids went to the majors and three to the Indians to, to my boys. Anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, yeah, I, I lived that, man. I, I would have went the more artistic route, you know, and that's what I do now. It's with cars and it's with woodworking. It's that kind of stuff. But it's, I think often about had I just been able to focus on that stuff the whole way through. And I think that's, that's what you're offering your, your daughter now, you know? Yes. Yes, man. And again, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a new parent, you know what I mean? Like I, this is my first go at it. You know what I mean? So it's not like I ran one all through 20 years and then said, all right, we're ready for the next one. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot to learn in that. Um, especially because, you know, my parents were never together growing up. They were, I was always joint custody. There was always a financial fight over like who was paying for what. And my dad was, I, uh, the way I always describe it, he was very physically present, but he was emotionally absent. Um, and me being so filled with emotions, like it was really hard for me to navigate that dynamic in our relationship because I felt like I was a friend, and, but I wasn't a son. Um, so, yeah, I'm still seeing some of that play out in even my own parenting. I got to be really, really mindful that I'm not in like, oh, these are friends and we're cool and I'm coach and I'm leader. And I'm not actually like emotionally connected to my children. So I have to be really mindful to make sure that I'm doing that. So let me... Let me ask you, your, your daughter speaking is kind of what made me think about it because it's what I hear and correct me if I'm wrong, is it, it's her kind of raw authenticity and not being afraid of what the people are going to think and quote, I'm using quotes. If you're listening to this, 
How do you balance that as a speaker? Authenticity versus professionalism and what's expected of you as a professional speaker, your dress, your mannerisms, you know, the things that you bring to the stage. I'm so glad you asked me that question um, because it just helped me to realize how far I've come. Because there was a day I would give you like a bunch of tips on how to navigate those spaces. But my answer now is like the most professional thing that I can do is be authentic. A lot of people think that authentic speaking means like all I do is speak my heart and, and I don't prepare. I don't have like, you know, great speaking mechanics. I'm just raw and I'm real and I'm vulnerable. And, you know, I, the way I describe it is that they're like all heart with no head and they're just kind of floating in the ethers. And yeah, will people say thank you? And will there be some really good moments of maybe some tears and some love, some connection? Absolutely. But it's not the most professional, powerful thing you can do. The best thing you can do is let your heart kind of shape the feeling and the emotional arc of your speech and allow your head to structure it with true content to help people to implement the things that are actually your highest beliefs. So the the mingling of the of the technique with the truth. A hundred percent. It's a it's an interesting dichotomy because we say that thing like, oh, I was all in my head. Or I just speak from the heart. And we create this separation. But do you know like in your physical body, it's not separate. <laughs> it's a it's a connected system. And it's meant to flow that way through your communication. The other thing about the physical instrument is that there's two ears and there's one mouth. So a lot of speakers think that speaking is about learning how to speak, but a lot of it, uh, you know, my coach, uh, Les Brown at one point uh, told me, hey, Daryl, the best speakers are the best listeners. And that's true. Uh, you listen to conversations, you start to see like how people actually describe their problems. So it creates custom tailored like specificities within your speech. Um, and then in real time, as you're speaking, the ability to listen to the room and read the room is super valuable. We've all had those speakers where they're just like kind of going on and like the room is like totally checked out. Everybody can feel it, but the speaker who's just plugged in about their about their thing and going through their script and going through their thing. You know, even if it's an emotional thing, we've seen it on the emotional share. Oh, I'm speaking my heart. And everybody's just like, what am I supposed to do with this? And everybody, like, we can feel it. And it's like, okay, this is cool. Now this person's in, like, their own self-therapy on stage. <laughs> and I don't want to interrupt because I don't want to be unpolite. And I can't really tell them at the end, hey, I didn't actually learn anything <laughs> from that because I don't want them to feel bad for the, the therapy session they just went through on stage. The ability to listen is a powerful thing. The best speakers are the best listeners. I love that. So. Young entrepreneurs coming up, you're going to give them one piece of advice. What is it? I hate this question. <laughs> because everybody says the same thing. Because it's true. Walk in your purpose. Know who you are. Nah, I don't want that. I don't want that. Don't settle. Don't sacrifice. Like, that is the main <laughs> thing. And, and like, as much as we say it over and over again, the truth of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, there's less than 20% of the population that's living that way. I'd say less than that. I would <laughs> way, too. Way I was trying to be that. nice. <laughs> <laughs> way less than that. I tell people, you know, when, when people come to work with me privately, almost all entrepreneurs, I have a handful of government or corporate people, but they're almost all entrepreneurs. And they all have a business plan. Every single one of them has a well thought out, well crafted business plan. And when you ask them how many have a personal mission statement or have a statement of purpose, as we put it in our work, 2%. 
that tells you how many people are living there. They don't even think about it. It's not even on the radar. Autopilot in the matrix, man. React, 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 die. Yeah. So as much as I hate saying the same thing that I know a lot of people say, it's it's so important. Um, the only thing that I do is I dress it in story. You know, I I, I you know say to people that like I'm a suicide survivor. And I'm living the life that I tried to end. And it's a crazy thing to think that up until that point of awakening in the psychiatric unit, I only could see a version of my life that I could see. <laughs> I couldn't see outside of my own awareness. And I think for the people that hear that, and they're like, oh, okay, okay. But they know deep down they're not actually living in that. I think that's the pathway in is to wake up and say, I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of it sounding fluffy. I want it to actually be in the fabric of my life. And I don't want to wait till I got a diagnosis. And I don't want to wait till I lose a family member that I never had time to build a real connection with. I don't want to wait till COVID wakes me up. I don't want to wait till life smacks me in the face to go, okay, I'm going to really figure out why I'm here. I'm actually just going to consciously choose. It's like that guy that just like wouldn't let go of sports. Like I knew it. And I just wouldn't let go of the, the routine of what I thought my life should look like. But I knew inside. I knew inside. And I think everybody really, really knows if they're not high, if they're not suppressing with television and drugs and food and all that stuff, I think they deeply know. And it's just like, learn how to hear the whispers so you don't have to hear the screams. You know, the the subtitle of the book is Peace, Prosperity, and the Courage to Change Course in Life mm. and Business. And the reason I chose that as the subtitles, because I don't think... I don't think people are afraid of change. I think a lot of people know they need to make the change. They're afraid of it being right. They're afraid of it being on purpose. And they don't know how to build the confidence in those decisions to know that it's right or on purpose. They have no barometer. They just they just kind of poke in the dark. Again, react, mm -hmm. react, react, die. So, you know, what have what systems have you built? that allow so you're gonna take this gig or you're gonna you're gonna go into speaking instead of sports you're gonna decide to have children you're gonna whatever the thing is what systems has daryl built that allow you to know that your next decision has a good propensity to be in the right direction yeah um number one you got to realize is you can't it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle so community conscious community is very important you know a lot of people's paradigm around friendships or relationships in general is like they got to like the same things that I like, listen to the same music too I listen to, eat the same things I eat, laugh at the same jokes that I laugh at. Like, like we got to be exactly alike or at least have a level of tolerance for the same things that we're comfortable with, even if they're dysfunctional. But it's a powerful thing when I start to put myself in relationships where like iron sharpens iron, where people love me enough to tell me that my breath stink, where people love me enough to be like, hey, like, Oh, I know that you're excited about that, but man, like you're not even really like full out on the one thing that you're doing right now. Why add another thing? Community is very important. Um, it's one of the reasons why I pay so much to be in the community I'm in. <laughs> you know, a lot of it is not like all these nuts and bolts of what I'm learning. It's actually the level of standard that we hold for one another. And when I show up to the call and I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. They're like, do you, if you didn't know, <laughs> is it that you don't know or is it that you're afraid oh no i mean i'm not afraid i work through my pain i work through my trauma and it's just like okay then if you didn't know what would you be doing and then you get in the conversation you find out oh, yeah, i am afraid <laughs> i'm still somehow <laughs> and that's very important man so community is super super important 
We talked about that journaling practice is super, super important. Uh, that spiritual practice, you know, I talked about the dancing. I didn't necessarily talk about the prayer or uh, the scripture reading or the meditation or the beholding nature. You, you have to have something that steals your energy and your inside. Like you have to learn how to become still. And a lot of people are afraid of that stillness because in stillness, it all shows up. You start to see life as is instead of how you perceive. Um, and that's a really big deal of knowing if I'm actually being guided in the right direction of, of how, how still am I? You know, the thing about spiritual practices is that people think they're about like this box that I have when I do my thing. It's when I'm worshiping. It's when I'm playing my guitar. It's when I'm dancing with my wife. Like it's when I'm like doing my mantras or I'm kneeling to pray. And like, yeah, so that <laughs> I can bring that awareness, that can, that texture into the fabric of my everyday moment by moment life, like spirit, the divine, whatever you call it, doesn't stop just because you ended your prayer. <laughs> it's like, the universe doesn't Sundays. stop just because you're. It's like carry it through, develop that sensitivity throughout your days. It, it, it's a really, really, really big deal. Yeah, I practiced yoga for a long time, long before it was cool. And there was a yoga studio on every, every <laughs> you know, I'm like 25 years in now. And that's what it was always about. You know, it's it's taking that practice out into your day and, and being able to breathe through things and yeah. sit with the uncomfortable things. You know, if you do that every day on your mat, you're able to do that in your life. It's all the same principles, right? A hundred percent. Well, buddy, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you're a busy man. How can uh, how can people get a hold of Daryl Stinson if they want you to come speak or they want to they want to join that conscious group that you're part of? Oh man, so DarylStinson.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L-L-Stinson.com. I know it'll be in the show notes. Uh, that's my website around the speaking and stuff. Um, you know, in terms of speaking, getting on stages, using, you know, uh, they say say this. He's like, "What do you do?" It's like, "What I do is I help people grow their business through stages." But what I actually do. It's helped leaders to awaken to the seeds of their divine calling through their vulnerable sharing of their most intimate stories and the powerful advancement of their God-given message. And so if you want to like connect with that thread, uh, just at Stinson Speaks on all platforms. Amazing. Well, brother, I appreciate your time today. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Yep. I'm all for it, bro. Appreciate you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Million Dollar Flip Flop Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen on. If this episode make you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. If you want to see more behind the scenes with Roderick and his guests, be sure to find them on Instagram. It's also where we can have deeper conversations on these episodes. Go to www.instagram.com forward slash million dollar flip flops. Until next time.